You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. Welcome back, friends. Please make sure your pod seat and tray table are in their upright and locked position. Pull out your Hugo Award nomination ballot and add the Functional Nerds podcast to your best fan cast selections. Once you have done this, the airlock will seal and life support systems will engage. We hope you enjoy and survive your trip to the Functional Nerdverse. So, all right, Patrick, we, we're, we're making our way through your wish list. You gave me a wish list and said, I haven't talked to these people in a really long time. I want to talk to these people. And your wish list delighted me uh, because some of them were like, ooh, me too, me too. I, I want this. I want this also much, yes. And uh, we have a wish list guest here. So, Shauna McGuire, how are you? I'm all right. I, I have not been threatened with murder by a podcast if I didn't put them on my Hugo Award nominations before. So uh, thank We're you subtle. for being a new experience today. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, you know. I, I may have created a monster. That's all I can say. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, we, 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 we long for things that... that don't necessarily happen and we just, you know, keep working towards them. Mm-hmm. But all right. So, um, Shannon, one of the reasons why I'm kind of geeking out about the chance to get to talk to you is there's uh, one of the cool things that I get to do is I, I teach a science fiction and fantasy class at the school where I work and um, we use your work in my class. Cool. And so I get to do the they get to do the whole we chatted thing. And then my students look at me <laughs> and they're like, you're a liar. That didn't happen. No. Um, and so, you know. There we, but uh, specifically, um, my students are a huge fan of the Wayward Children series. Uh, they, they've read the opening volume of it. And you just added the eighth volume uh, to that ongoing series at the very start of, of January here, Lost in the Moment and Found. So mm-hmm. congratulations. Thank you. So, all right. One of the things that I've got on my mind, uh, because in addition to writing writing at Shannon and writing as Mira Grant is you've got many different series um, that some of which have are not concluded and continue to have volumes added to them. And Before some you go down that, can I tell yeah, you, yeah. Can okay, I tell go, you go, a go. quick little thing? Uh, when I was doing the SF Signal podcast, Donardo uh, reached out and said, you, you, you need to get more famous people and, and people who are writing a lot. You need to get more people. I'm like, okay. So I did a quick search and I discovered – uh, some contact information for Shauna McGuire, and I sent Shauna McGuire a, a request to come on the podcast. Then I did another search, and I found Mira Grant, and I sent Mira Grant a re- request. And then I got an email back from Shauna going, uh, "Honey, <laughs> these are both me." Yeah, oh, you got me. Oh, yeah. Shit. Sorry. <laughs> My bad. Anyway. Yeah, it was funny because so Patrick and I have known each other. I think before I published anything, so I don't just address random podcasters as honey. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. That would be um, it, that'd be a different energy than you generally project. Then I try for yeah. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, it has definitely that's... been a very long time, uh, and that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I asked Tracy to have you on the show is because we just haven't crossed circles. We haven't crossed paths. I've been. Uh, stuck here in Colorado, not, not doing roll con, uh, in a, in a really long time. And I honestly don't know if you have traveled for roll con or world fantasy or any of that kind of stuff. I haven't uh, traveled much years. since the start of the pandemic. Um, I have done mm-hmm. both world con in DC and then this year's world con in Chicago. 
Uh, this year in Chicago, I finally won the best series, Hugo. And I say finally there because well best series is a relatively new category. And I have actually yeah. been on the ballot in that category every year that it has existed. So yes. there was just yes. getting to be this sort of Susan Lucci energy where it's like, I'm, I'm always on the ballot here. Why? What am I doing wrong? Am I just not shameless enough about asking people to vote for me? Do they think I don't you care? You can go with threats of death. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, do I need to death. get some threats of death in here? Like, what's going on? But this year I finally won. And uh, that was actually kind of comic because they said my name for the winner and and I just sat there waiting for the winner to go up on stage until my girlfriend smacked me <laughs> and said that's you you won and I'm like wait what I don't what I did not have a setting for a world in which I actually won yeah oh, that's amazing yeah. congratulations thank you hard reset there yeah so how so anyway, was Tracy? I completely interrupted you. No, 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 no. I mean, I was I, I had jotted down here like what, what are what are we doing for cons and how is that going? So we'll we'll jump there. We can always get back to to other stuff. That's totally fine. So how was Worldcon in Chicago? Uh, Patrick and I were both there, but our paths did not cross with yours. Um, Worldcon in Chicago was stressful but it was good i appreciated their covid mitigation strategies um i did not appreciate the extremely poor internet reception in the ballroom uh, or in the entire no, convention no. center um i actually went for a stress management strategy outside of the world con itself uh this year which is that a friend of mine had said, so I am I am doing a lot of Magic the Gathering right now, uh, the card game. I've been writing for them, and I have discovered, to everyone's surprise and my accountant's dire dismay, that opening packs of cards actually lowers my blood pressure in, like, a measurable way <laughs> to the point that it is medically trackable. I can wow. I can be having a bad blood pressure moment. I can be really stressed out, open a pack of cards, and my blood pressure goes down about 20 points. And but Does it even matter what you find in there? It does not does matter that, what I know. find. It is the yeah. act of opening the pack of cards and having that kind of blind box experience that brings my BP down, which is great when you're someone with high blood pressure like me, because, you know, as, as Patrick can attest, I've been fairly high strung my entire life. Um, and, and so I open a lot of magic cards and I sort a lot of magic cards and it's just very soothing if you happen to be me. And, uh, a friend of mine, as we were talking about this phenomenon and the fact that, I will literally sort and sell other people's magic collections as a stress relief measure says, well, you know, I could really use some money and I've got my old magic cards from college. And I'm like, cool, I would be happy to sort your cards. What do you think you got? And he says, well, I've got a black Lotus, which is one of the single rarest oh and most expensive cards in existence. Holy he goes, you know, I've got a black Lotus. And the problem is if you talk, hold on, to hold on. Black border, uh -huh. black border. Yeah. The problem Ooh, is, if yeah. you talk to 20 people who played Magic during the period where the Black Lotus was being printed, who have their cards in a garage or an attic somewhere, all 20 of them will tell you they had a Black Lotus. All 20. And none of them will have a Black Lotus. 
They will have a bunch of other cards that are worth $5 each. The entire collection will be worth $200 if they're lucky. There's never anything mm-hmm. as actually spicy as a Black Lotus. So That's the I saw a Sasquatch of the Exactly. Of the so he's in Toronto. Yeah. He handed his cards off to my friend who was driving from Toronto to Chicago two weeks before the convention, who got them over the border and got them to Chicago and handed them off to another friend who put them in his climate controlled office and then handed them to me while saying, I swear I did not touch these at all with my filthy human hands. They're in fucking Velveeta boxes. These are not cards that have been treated with kindness in any way, shape, or form. And the Black Lotus was actually there, as was the Mox wow. Sapphire and the Candelabra of Taunos and all of these other incredibly spicy, incredibly old magic cards. So I basically spent Worldcon running back to my Airbnb anytime I had the opportunity to do so to continue sorting magic cards and just reveling in these ancient cards that I never thought I would get to actually interact with. Um, and I am still selling those for him. And and that is how I survived Worldcon. It had nothing to do with Worldcon. It was entirely down to the magic. <laughs> what was the, That's what amazing. was the, okay. So um, one of the first expansions was the dark. No, the dark came along fairly late. The first expansion was Arabian thought... Nights. Arabian Nights. Thank you. Okay. What came after Arabian Nights? After Arabian Nights came, um, was that Legends or Antiquities? I think it went Antiquities and then Arabian Nights. What, what was the blue uh, box? The, the Was it Ice? Ice, Ice Age, Age or something? Or? Mm-hmm. Where did that? Go? I had I had Arabian Nights and Ice Age cards. You still I want to say I had Arabian Nights just... and, and Ice Age. Oh yeah, gosh, I, I don't know. I I do. I really don't. Mm-hmm. I still have mine. If I still you have still have your Arabian fact, Nights cards, I can get you quite a lot of money. That is one of the sets that is <laughs> extremely valuable. Um, mm-hmm. But the first expansions, other than the uh, the you know first edition unlimited, etc., were Arabian Nights, Antiquities, and Legends. The Dark was the fourth expansion. But it is not an expansion okay. that has maintained a lot of value. Then we had Fallen Empires and Ice Age. So really what you're looking for if you're trying to sell old magic cards is Arabian Le- Arabian Nights and Antiquities. And to a certain degree, Legends. Yes. And was Arabian Nights, was the icon a sword? Yes, it was. Like a scimitar? Yeah. I swear to God, I've got Arabian Nights. I, yeah, there's like a dervish friend, so, and some other characters. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, you talk about uh, someone who says they had something. Uh, my friend... Literally, I mean, I know he had it because he played it because he's a bastard. He had uh, Shahrazad. <gasps> oh, Shahrazad, the evil card. A very evil card. This is a card, Tracy, that when it got went into play, you took everything that was in play and you set it aside. You mm-hmm. started a new game with your library. Uh, whoever won that game, how did it go? The, uh, the loser of that game lost half their life or something and then you brought the other game back and you finished it i mean it was like it was oh it was such a pain in the butt he only i can understand once. like based on how the thousand and one nights as a narrative construct works why they would meta game the mechanics that way to like try to mimic the like oh look there's a story within the story and then you have to return to the original story and, and whatever These days but, i'm wow. playing magic on my ipad or are you That's playing arena? Magic. And then I don't have to. I'm playing arena. And it, mostly because of math. 
it does all the math <laughs> for me and I don't have to think about stuff. Yep. So wow. Shahrazad, like if that. you have one, is about five hundred and seventy dollars. Hmm. Was never I reprinted and it is not legal in ago. any play format. Mm-hmm. Never? Never. You cannot play Shahrazad. You're literally obtaining that card just to be able to say, I have a Shahrazad. Wow. Yeah. But that is, cool. that is how I found Worldcon, was I sorted a lot of magic cards, and I tried not to think about it too hard. <laughs> yeah. I, I also yeah. found Worldcon in Chicago to be stressful. It was the first big con I'd been to in years, mm-hmm. uh, specifically since mom died. I'm sorry. And it was it was very stressful. It was very stressful. And and Tracy knows this. Like I was hiding from people mm-hmm. uh, as much mm-hmm. as possible. That explains I just, why I didn't see you. I did not have the I did I and I've talked with my friend Shannon here locally about this, uh, because she and I can be very, very introverted and we kind of force it when we go to cons to be extroverted. Like we, we put that energy out there and then we have to yeah. hide and and kind of bring it back. We talked about how we forgot to people. Mm-hmm. Like we we those muscles have atrophied. We don't know how to do it anymore because yep. we've been so uh, in such an enclosed space for so long. It is a skill. And it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it's one you yeah. got to build back up and it's, it's, it's taken. Its I think toll. it was, it, it was probably a little easier for me. Cause although it was the first like genuinely big con that I had come back to uh, as well for me, um, one, I, I was local, so I didn't have, I wasn't feeling like as displaced as either of you would have been. But there's also just, my job as a teacher is kind of constant social performance, just mm-hmm, of a different sure. type. And so I kind of have to keep, like, every day at work is kind of a mini con, if that makes any sense. It like, does. every class is sort of a panel. And, and, you know, and so there's this toggling of the switch that I'm constantly doing. And so every day that I come home from work is that kind of post-con, sort of, uh, okay, cannot, cannot people anymore, no more people, bye, goodbye. Um, so, yeah, I can empathize with that. I, I just got a little bit of a head start on it because of, because of the job being the job. So the thing got winding back to um, some things <laughs> I was talking about before and that the actually the magic, the gathering kind of gets us toward that um, you've worked not only in under different names, of course, and with lots of different series that you've created, but also now in tons of different media. You know, you had a long run writing for Marvel Comics. Um, you've got a Boom Studios mm-hmm. uh, title mm-hmm. coming out in the summer. Um, which is magic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so congratulations Thank there. You. It sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun for you. I guess what I'm, what I'm wondering about now is what's left in the kind of like the, the bucket list of experiences that you, cause you've grown up as a fan. You've always, this is, this is the world that you've loved and the things that you've always, you know, wanted for yourself and, and worked towards for yourself. Is there a character or an IP or, or anything like that from the world of geekdom that you're like, man, I still want to get my hands on that one. I still want to do that one. I would really, really like to do something for Doctor Who. It doesn't have to be an ongoing. Uh, It can be one of the short story collections, something like that. Sure. I want to write for My Little Pony. Like, periodically, (laughs) they do new My Little Pony comics. They do new things in that world and setting. I want to do something for My Little Pony um, because that is one of the foundational franchises for me that I have yet to touch. I want Marvel back. I want to work for, I want to write for the X-Men. I 
got to do that for like 20 seconds. I didn't get to do half of what I wanted to do. And they rebooted basically the entire franchise to switch us over to what is now the Hickman era. Um, So Mm -hmm. I want to go back to Marvel. You know, it was it was COVID getting started that canceled my ghost spider run. We had been doing quite well. Uh, we were very criti- we were very critically well received, but our sales were not astonishing. Which sales are rarely astonishing for solo books with female lead characters. And when COVID started, it shut down the printing presses at exactly the wrong time for us, and it just it canceled our book. I, I want it back. I want, but I wasn't done. You know. Um, I, I want to see a movie get made. I have lots I still want to do. I've only been doing this for 10 years. And in most professions, that is a brand new baby. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not done. I'm just kind of getting stuff written down. We, yeah. So Tracy and I were talking a little bit about you. Your ears were probably burning uh, before you joined the call. Uh <laughs> It was all good. Don't worry. You're, it's all good. I mean, you're stunningly prolific. Like you do, you do the work and it's, and it's really impressive. And, uh, like how, <laughs> I mean, I, I understand COVID stuff. It's just like, it's like you, you definitely put in the hours and you, and you just churn out the words and it's so impressive. And, how? <laughs> I, I don't have a social life. I mean, I, I don't really want a social life. I have my D&D games. I have exactly as much interaction with people as I am super equipped for. I am, am not a big people person. Um, I want to sit at home and write my words and, and mostly be left alone. Uh, which is a super great thing about being an author in the modern era where that is not really an option. You are expected to do so much of your own promo. You're expected to be so online. Um, There are days where I feel like I actually caught the bullet that I dodged as a child because I auditioned for the Mickey Mouse Club the same time that Britney Spears did. And I made the same round of callbacks that she did. And my mother refused to take me to the audition. And I know that looking at me now, that sounds very unrealistic, but child actors are a whole different bucket. And I was cute as hell. Um, And, you know, I watched what the media did to her because when she signed up to be a child actor, it was a different contract. It was not the media and the 24 hour news cycle will follow you all the time everywhere you go. Yeah. Um, So it kind of makes sense that she was not braced for that the way that people who are choosing to become child stars today are. I didn't go with a public facing thing. I went with being an author. James Tiptree was able to hide the fact that she was a woman for over a decade and many, many award nominations. Like there was never Mm -hmm. this expectation as an author that you would be out and about and interacting and showing parts of your life. And here are my cats and all of that. You didn't have to be personable. You didn't have to be good at people. And now you do. And, and there are days where, and I recognize this is the most Tahani complaint to have. Um, but, but there are days where I'm like, no, I, I am not, I am not a role model. I am not presentable. I am not going to give you a soundbite. I am a strange feral basement creature. And I just want to go back into the closet that I have filled with plush toys and burrow down to the bottom and growl at people. 
Yeah. That seems fair. And, and, and you're right. It, it has completely changed. You know, there, there's, uh, there's been talk as, as long as I've been around doing this crap, uh, about author platforms and, and, mm-hmm. and you have to have social media and you have to make appearances and, and the rules and change constantly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. it's it's just yeah. it's very freaking tiring. So part of how I stay as prolific as I am and all of that is just I, I don't want to interact with people. And if I stay in my room and keep writing, um, maybe the people will leave me alone. Uh, but part of it no, is. It, hmm? I was going to say it's the age old. It's the age old uh, truism for writers, but in chair. Yeah, butt in chair. Yeah. But, you know, part of it is also, I I grew up very, very poor um, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And what that meant in relation to my approach to writing is that I read, I, I read everything I could get my hands on, but I mostly read the books that my mother would bring home from yard sales and the flea market. And she would bring home just these giant boxes of classic, you know, 20 and 30 year old science fiction for me to read because she had paid $4 for this giant ass box of books. And I discovered fairly quickly in that authors who are presumed male can make multiple mistakes. Authors who are presumed male can have multiple failures. They can have multiple books that sink without a trace. They can have gaps between their books. They can go five years between book A and book B, and they keep publishing. Women don't get that. Women have one book that underperforms, one book that is ill-considered, or one gap of more than about 18 year, 18 months before books, and they're gone. They don't get a second chance. The history between the beginning of science fiction and today is littered with the bodies of brilliant women who wrote one, maybe two books before they got killed uh, because the market did not want another Mary Carricker or another A.C. Crispin. The market just said, you know what? No, you didn't perform perfectly your first time out the gate. You're out. So I have always taken the approach that I have to work five times as hard as my male peers if I want to be remembered in five years. And, and I do. This is what I'm spending my life doing. This is my work. This is the only thing I have to offer. This is what I have to say. These are the things I think are important. And I would actually, perhaps it's arrogant, I don't know, but I would actually like to be remembered. And I know how much harder it is for me to get that. I think you will be, and and because because what you're doing, you're you're doing it really well. Thank you. Also, at this point, I and think I will be because I've set a bunch of records because I never chill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's um, nominated for five Hugo Awards in one year and in, in one season, and um, yeah, for yeah, all of them. And you know, when I accepted all five of those nominations, I knew for a fact that that meant I wouldn't win anything that year because of how voting patterns tend to go. But I wanted sure. to be the first woman to have set the quantity record. The first person mm, nice. to be nominated twice in the same year was a man. The first person nominated three times was a man. The first person nominated four times in the year was a man. I was the first woman to set a first person award to set a first person record. So that was more important to me that year than taking home a Hugo. 
And I think, you know, it also is another way of kind of speaking to your range, you know, accepting those nominations says like, I can, I can do it. I can do it in a series. I can do it in a novel. I can do it in a short story. Like how, what kind of shape do you want? What kind of size Mm -hmm. do you want? Like I am, I am a utility player. I can do these things. Yep. And that's part of Um, why I do so many franchises. I will do basically whatever you want to prove that I can do the work. And then I will take a nap. Gosh, I would like it. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can't nap. I've never been able to. You can't nap? Oh, How are you alive? No. I can't nap. I, I my my brain doesn't shut down. It does this weird thing and I get all sweaty and panicky and and I don't get any rest and then I wake up feeling worse than when I lay down. So I just no, no. Well, that's no good. Oh. And I don't like that. Yeah. Yes, I also dislike that for you. Yeah, I hate that for you. You dislike it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always have to push through until a, a decent time to go to bed. So, and, and here's the funny thing. Um, I have always been a night person. I've always been a night owl. I have always stayed up late, slept in. Uh, now that I have a puppy, that's all out the fucking window. <laughs> it's, it's up in the morning and taking him out and, and I'm crashing by 10 o'clock and it's like, who am I? Welcome to being old. <laughs> it comes for us all. It came for me when I was 16, so. I mean, you were just operating at, at high enough cycles that you, you conned it into thinking that you were further along. So I have to I have to think, though, to talk about like so many different series and so many different projects and so many different kind of angles within your work. I think about the concept of endings a lot. Um, and like, not just like the ending of an individual book or the ending of a series, but just like endings as a principle. And I have to wonder, since you have so many different ongoing narrative universes and character arcs, um, and kind of series, how you work with the idea of an ending, like, are the rules for an ending different for a wayward children book than they are for an October day book than they are for like a Mira Grant book or I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know if I'm making any sense in the question that I'm asking. I I mean, a book ends when the book is over. That is, Mm -hmm. I, I know that sounds facile, but that is basically the approach I take. There is a point past which you are not writing the same book. You are now writing a different book. And that means that the previous book has ended And I just try to find the point where it would become a different book and stop there. Um, And most Mm -hmm. of the time I am able to hit that mark pretty well because I've got a good sense for where it is. But a lot of it is just watching the tone and the feel of the book and recognizing when you are about to cross over from I am writing the next piece of book A into I am writing the first piece of book B. Mm Mm-hmm. But you did you did tell me years ago that uh, the difference like there's differences that 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 people who read Mira Grant and then found out about Shauna McGuire went to a Shauna McGuire book and were upset because so, it was different. Some of them were, yeah, but that is less about the endings and more about people have expectations for a book based on who the author is. And that's part of why Seanan and Mira have different names. You know, I didn't want Seanan's readers picking up Mira's books and then being pissed because Mira Grant's books were exactly what I intended them to be. 
Uh, so much of it is just the feel of the thing and letting the thing be what it is without trying to tie it back to what people expect from me. Um, and so I will go out of my way to make sure that a given book belong belongs to the author that it, people are going to think wrote it. Um, and yeah. why sometimes, you know, if you look at things, you'll go, oh, why is this a Mira and not a Shannon? You know, why is why is the shadow of Spindrift House, which isn't sciency at all, a Mira and not a Shannon? And the answer is what aspects of the story I'm going to dwell on, what aspects of the story are going to be key and really unchangeable. Um, so because it's a Mira, I am able to focus much more on the cosmic horror of it all and not need to try to find and focus on the character work and the other things that people have been very much taught to expect from a shaman book. And that kind of goes back to what you were talking about before about the market, you know, your awareness of the market's, I think it's fair to say brutality um, and, and, and its tendency to be unforgiving. If one of the things that you as an author can consciously do is have a sense of identity and control in your prose that you can link to that authorial identity and you use that in the text, then you know that you're taking a step that is within your control to kind of put the book into the market in the best footing that you know how to. Mm -hmm. So I think we're probably at time for picks of the week here. What are we feeling? You ready for picks of the week? Yeah, let's give it a go. Picks of the week. So Patrick, what's your pick? Uh, well, this isn't going to be that much of a surprise for people. I Well, maybe it is. I actually enjoyed that 90s show on Netflix. Oh, okay. Um, it had just enough, like, nostalgia for me. Mm -hmm. I, 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 and cameos and stuff. I do like, I, I, I think I even posted cause we have a, for Sean's benefit, we have a secret Facebook group for our uh, Patreon people. And uh, I mentioned on there that I thought it was weird that they were dropping that 90s show, but you couldn't watch that 70s show on Netflix. And apparently that got picked up everywhere. Other people were oh, talking okay. about that all across like social media and stuff. They, cause that's stupid. It's like, why, what, I don't know, rights and all that kind of crap. But apparently that 70s show is like exclusive to Peacock right now. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, like I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. It was only like 10 episodes. Uh, it was funny, but it's a new, it's a new cast and uh, it's a new cast and Kitty and red. Uh, okay. And it felt like a, it felt like that 70s show in a lot of ways. It, it's nice extension of it and a sequel to it. And Kitty and red are still Kitty and red and the kids are, all grown up and have their own kids now. And it's those kids that are running the nostalgia causing problems. The nostalgia element of it has got to hit fundamentally different though, because of it being nineties. Right. And yeah. so like for, for you, I mean, like, especially because I mean, the viewer has whatever relationship they have to, to whatever the nostalgia period is supposed to be. I don't know. Was, was the nineties as powerful a kind of setting for you as the seventies? Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a child of the seventies and I'm not a child of the nineties. <laughs> so, yeah, so, uh, the failed, the failed spinoff that 80s show probably would have been, uh, better, but, uh, I think they only did like three or four episodes. I don't remember. 
I mean, they kind of uh, have that 80s show. It's called Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Yeah, yeah. Stranger Things. Yeah, which yeah. I, I adore. I love that. I do love that show. Um, I think that 90s show is set in 95. Uh, mm-hmm. So at that point, I'm no longer I'm no longer a teenager. I've already graduated high school and you know, mm-hmm. I've moved on to other things. But I, I did enjoy the soundtrack a lot. And, and I... I just thought it was funny. You know, the, the kids were good. They, there's some good characters in there. Uh, it's hilarious, of course, that Eric named his daughter Leia mm-hmm. uh, and continued the, the Star Wars obsession, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I just enjoyed it. I, I thought it was, it was good enough. It was good enough. You know, it, it, it did. Got it. It did I, I was not a fan of, like, when they brought back Full House. I did not like that. Uh, I never got into How I Met Your Father, I think is the other one that they did not too long ago. Hulu did that one. Uh, but this one, for some reason, struck a chord, and, and it amused me. So I ended up watching it. I enjoyed it. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So, uh, Shannon, how about you? What's your pick? Um, for this last week, I am really enjoying the hell out of The Last of Us. Like... Oh, oh, wow. The yeah. TV adaptation is beautifully done. It is the kind of thing I enjoy from a zombie apocalypse, which is that <laughs> they have interesting zombies. They have an interesting disease progression. They have an interesting apocalyptic progression. But at the end of the day, the story is not about the zombies. It's about the humans. And that is really the entire purpose of the zombie horror subgenre. Um, they have done some really good, really innovative work in bulking out the world of the video game to kind of make it more interesting and make sure that it is absorbing for people who didn't play the game, uh, which I didn't. I, I have no Twitch reflexes. I really I don't play anything that requires me to be quick with a button or snappy with a button press or anything like that. Um, so I am just really, really liking The Last of Us. I think it's brilliant. Fantastic. I, I do like uh, is it Pedro Pedro um, Pascal Pedro Mandalorian. Yeah, Pedro, Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal. That's his name. Yeah, yeah. he he's really good. I I, I like him and stuff now. Yeah. Uh, I didn't mm-hmm. used to like I, I used to see him in things and he annoyed me, but now he's redeemed himself. He he does some really really good stuff. Do you think it, it, is he getting into projects that you're liking better, or is it just he himself? A little bit, yeah. Him? A little bit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. So I guess we're going to be doing um, this is going to be a hat trick this week for uh, television picks. Um, so I was kind of going back and forth between uh, a book pick and a television pick. And I ended up because I'm, I've still got about another two hours left on the audiobook, and I want to see how it sticks the landing. I'm going to hold off on the book pick for for a little bit here. Um, but my television pick is a blast from the past. Uh, and like many of my television picks, it's owed entirely to my daughter, Deirdre. So for Shannon's benefit, uh, my daughter, Deirdre, is 11. And um, I have this ongoing thing with her where to her fascination slash irritation, I, I always bat a thousand when it comes to finding things that she's going to like. Because as much as it makes her nuts, I know exactly what she's into. And so I, you know, if she's trying to find the next book to read or the next show to watch, the next fill in the blank here, I, I have a really good track record of grabbing something and saying, you would love this. And she'll go, no, and then she gets and next thing you know, she's like under the covers with the flashlight and can't let it go. Um, and so that's happened several times. The thing that that happened with most recently is during the pandemic, she got into watching The Good Place mm-hmm. uh, and fell in love with it as a show. 
it kind of became her comfort watch. And by comfort watch, I mean she watched The Good Place in its entirety five times, uh, front to back. <laughs> okay, I, that's, <laughs> me and, of... that's me and Fringe, so I do not judge. Right? Yeah. So oh, yeah, Fringe. Yeah. Oh, I love. So we can make a we can make like a GRE logic puzzle there. Shannon is to Fringe as Deirdre is to Good Place. Um, so anyway, because of that, she loves uh, Kirsten Bell. Mm-hmm. And so I, I said to her the other day, like, you know what? We're going to go and and I'm going to show you where, at least for, for film purposes, Kirsten Bell got started. We've been watching Veronica Mars. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. And so she's really loved it because as an 11-year-old American girl, she has been trained by media to look forward to high school as this, like, fascinating, semi-salacious space. And, of course, this show totally delivers on that. Um, But she also really has gotten into the mystery elements of it. And I think that for a show that, you know, it it got canceled and I want to say 2007. Um, So it's been it's been about 15 years or so since it was um, actually live and out there on the air. It's held up really well, Mm -hmm. I think, in terms of. Uh, what what we see Veronica able to do with her knowledge of technology, with the relationships that get built between characters, um, it's been really satisfying. So I think either for people who have never seen it before or for folks who are looking for a rewatch of something that that really holds up on a number of layers of scrutiny, I've been enjoying the hell out of Veronica Mars Good. with my daughter. It's on Hulu. Um, Along with the movie. Along with the movie, which uh, people tell me mixed things about, but you know we got a ways to go before yeah. we we're at movie time. I like yeah, the movie. So. I just do I not agree. recommend the rebooted show. I have also heard that I have not heard mixed things about the rebooted show. Everything I've heard about the rebooted show is 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 a pretty hard no mm-hmm. from folks. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'm, well, I'm 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 running through uh, Walter Bishop lines in my head right now because Sean and Fringe. Fringe. <laughs> it always comes back to Fringe. I it love that show so so much. So good. <clears throat> I uh, I've got it on I've got it on DVD. I think I've got it potentially on Blu-ray, and I also bought mm-hmm. it digitally, so I never have to go get discs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just watch I mean, it's a good. I God, I, I, for, I forget if it was. Um, the Atlantic or maybe WAPO recently did a, did like a think piece. Uh, it was just a, just an editorial. Someone wrote about my husband was right about DVDs. Uh, and it was yeah. just about things coming off of streaming. And, you know, we are now paying to rent the things we used to own. Um, yep. And, you know, the risk that that poses to us continuing to have access to things that matter to us. That is yep. why I go out of my way to own everything I can. I know that it's a luxury to have the space to store it, but sure. yeah. I have seen too many things disappear forever. Like, do you remember a show yeah. called mm-hmm. Freaky Links? Yep. I do not. Yeah, actually. no one remembers Freaky Links. Gold star to you, Patrick. It is available to stream <laughs> on Shudder now on the Shudder network, but it was completely unobtainable for like 10 years. It's never had a DVD release. Mm-hmm. It is possible that some bootleggers may have sold it at conventions, but if so, I would not know anything about that. Um, and it is one Mm-mm, of the truly no. perfect pieces of television to come out of its era. Uh, Cupid, which has happened twice, once with Jeremy Piven and then a more recent reboot. They're both Rob Thomas shows. He's the guy that created Veronica Mars. It's never made Veronica it past Mars. a yeah. season. You know, it's mm-hmm. that we've always had these shows that just vanished, but now that threat is there for everything. 
Well, like uh, what would happen with HBO Max and Westworld. Uh Like Westworld, you know, it it was a very up and down sort of narrative experience, but they just decided to sort of ghost the entire series. It it was was uncreated effectively. Apparently they're they're planning on a uh, a second streaming service with advertisements, and that's where they want to put some of these things that they're taking off of HBO and HBO Max mm-hmm. to okay. bring people to those platforms. The one that the one that I always watch for, as far as I'm aware, you can't stream it anywhere, uh, and it doesn't have it's not out on DVD yet. Um, there might be like an old version of the DVD, but uh, the Secret Adventures of Jules Verne. Yes. Oh, we've talked about this before, I think. I have talked yeah. about this before. I got to watch it, like a handful of it, uh, on the channel formerly known as Sci-Fi, like late, late at night. It's Michael Prade, Robin fucking Hood. And I can't get it. <laughs> and, I, and I want it. Or I want you, it. We had that 15-minute so period where the Cartoon Network was doing live-action programming, and they did Tower Prep by Paul Dini. And Unnatural Selection, yeah. which was sort of the precursor to the current natural tr- National Treasure show on Disney+. Plus, Both of those were great shows, and they've both just disappeared. There's no way to watch them or acquire them now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so this this brings me around to to something. Uh, this, you know, one of my one of my all time favorite memories of of Worldcon uh, is being on a panel with Shannon, where yeah. we were playing a game. And it was Warehouse 13 versus Eureka. Hmm. And you and I were the Warehouse 13 team. And the other folks on the panel were the Eureka team. And uh, I believe, no, it may have been flipped. It was flipped. I think we were the Eureka team and they were the Warehouse 13 team. Because we used Claudia because she had done a crossover. And had come to Eureka. Uh, But that was one of the fun times. I mean... You want to talk about uh, just having ridiculous levels of knowledge of TV shows. That, I think, was when you and I bonded. (laughs) Because I have all this really useless TV trivia knowledge uh, that doesn't work anywhere except on that stupid fucking panel. (laughs) You're just training up for the next time. The next next heroic ride. Yep. You'll be ready. You'll be ready. So, Seanan, where can people find you uh, in in the digiverse, in the real verse, and what can they look forward to to from you in the near future? If you can spell my name, you can find me. Um, <laughs> it's mostly vowels; it's not that hard. But basically, as near as I can tell, there are no other Sean and McGuire's in the world, except for some of my cousins, all of whom are sheep farmers in Ireland. So you're usually pretty clear on whether or not you've got the right one. Uh, I am still on Twitter for the moment. Though none of us know if that's even going to be there next weekend at this point. Um, I do have a website at www.seananmcguire.com and you can find me on Tumblr. Yes, that is actually me. Please stop sending asks to ask if it's actually me. I promise it was me yesterday. It will be me tomorrow. It's still actually me. Um, I enjoy my Tumblr. I've been there for years. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, and, uh, as to what you can look forward to, we are recording this at the end of January. So I have a book coming out in March called Backpacking Through Bedlam, and that is the next encrypted book. Um, I also have, as I think we've mentioned a couple times, a boom comics collection, uh, called stone, uh, soul and stone. 
and that is a collection of my Planeswalker one-shots from last year. So it is Ajani and Nahiri, both of whom have just featured heavily in the Phyrexia All Will Be One storyline. So you can kind of catch up on what your favorite Planeswalkers are up to. Or if you don't have a favorite Planeswalker, you can catch up on my favorite Planeswalkers because they're pretty great or they wouldn't be my favorites. Um, I, I have way too much stuff coming out this year because it's a year. Uh, I have way too much stuff coming out most years. I don't really sleep and I have no chill. My cats would like you to buy my books because they hope that if I sell enough of them, I'll take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> what better argument there? It's been awesome having you on, Jonan. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> what on earth? Hey. Oh, oh, hi, Patrick. Tracy, what are you doing to the bumper? Uh, fortifying it. Duh. This is because we just talked to Keith Amon about defending your lair. And... And I started thinking about that time beyond the trope, tried to take over. Yeah, I, I act cool about that, but I guess it kind of got to me after all. You do realize that building a... What, what is this? It's a palisade. Right. You realize that physical fortifications are not a way of protecting and preserving the podcast into the future, right? I suppose. Oh, oh, what about weapons? You're kidding. You have two Hugo Awards. Those trophies are very pointy and probably excellent for close quarters combat. Oh my God, you're not kidding. You can't tell me that you don't look at those trophies sometimes and think about how good it would feel to just poke them right into Sean Duke from Skiffy and Fanty, huh? Huh? My therapist says I need to give my worst impulses space to be entertained intellectually but not acted upon. Pfft, I would totally act on that. But there's a problem. I don't have a Hugo Award trophy. I don't even have one of the tiny stabity nomination pins. Patrick. Patrick. Why are you grabbing me by the collar? Why am I narrating about it? This is audio entertainment, Patrick. Just give the cues. Patrick, I need that Hugo trophy to help you defend our lair. Podcast. But lair, podcast, whatever. We need to make sure the listeners know that nominating for the Hugo Awards is a great way to contribute to the SF community and honor content creators they like. Maybe even the functional nerds by nominating them for categories like best fan cast. Please let me go. Oh, sorry. Would you feel better if we also told folks that interested listeners can go to the current Worldcon Facebook page for more information? I cannot actually pronounce that name of that current page, but they're in China. Oh, or they could skip straight to finding the Chengdu Worldcon on the web at en.chengduworldcon.com. You know, you're stronger than I thought you'd be. My neck hurts. <sighs> Walk it off, Hester. Here, here's a hammer. We've got work to do. Let's take a second to talk about Beyond the Trope. If you're looking for another podcast to listen to, we recommend Beyond the Trope. Giles and Michelle have been putting out episodes for a really long time. Not as long as me, but don't hold that against them. They have a lot of great guests, just like we do. And they put out their episodes on Tuesdays, just like we do. 
They also have a Patreon with a bunch of extra content for backers, which is really cool. They have a Redbubble site where you can buy stuff, also cool. And I just wanted to throw it out there. Beyond the Trope, check them out. I think you'll like them. So there. Mr. Carpiers. You got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel. Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise. <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? <laughs> okay, that's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> When someone comes up to me and says, hey, I really love what you do. I'm like, I'm sorry. Do you know who I like? I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.